0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey.
1: Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to Episode 8 for Season 9. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 6th of July, 2019, for a broadcast on the 24th of July. This episode is sponsored by TripleByte. That's Byte. BYTE. I'm Drew Freeman here with my ever early rising Season 9 co-host Jen Bailey.
2: Thanks, Drew. On this episode, we will be talking with Hadi Hariri. Hadi is a very active Twitter member, originally from Iran, naturalized Spaniard living in Spain. A Kotlin developer advocate, a guy with lots of experience, developer and creator of Many Things OSS. He has been programming in one way, shape, or form since the age of 12. He's the author of various publications and courses. Hadi has been speaking at industry events for nearly two decades, host to Talking Kotlin, He works at JetBrains, leading the developer advocacy team, and spends as much time as he can writing code.
1: In this episode, Hadi will discuss Kotlin and some developer advocacy with us. Then in the second half, Jen will talk about her favorite Android Studio shortcuts. Hadi, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be on.
1: I can appreciate this because I got my first computer when I was 11. 12. You started at twelve.
0: Yeah, more or less. I mean, uh, you know, that that's um, started programming at twelve is an overstatement a little bit. Um, it makes my bio look great, but, um, <laughs> I think at twelve, I I it was like you know ten, print hello twenty go to ten. What was your system? Uh, my first computer was the Amstrad CPC four six four, which was it was I don't know if you remember the Spectrum time the Spectrum forty eight k's. And the Commodores. Um, so it was around the same time, uh, an Amstrad system. Okay.
1: I remember the Commodores because I was an Apple II person. So I also started on the 10 print 20s.
0: Yeah. So this was back, I think it was 1985, 86 or something like that. And I can't remember. So we're about the same time period. Yeah, more or less.
2: Me too. I started with the Commodore 64, same time period.
0: Yeah, so I was uh, when when the when like the Commodore was the one I really wanted, the Amstrad was the one I got, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it was the cheaper one, so I went with the Amstrad.
1: Hey, it was interesting because the one that I had the experience with when I was a kid was the TRS-80 from uh, from Radio Shack, and then my dad surprised me and turned around and said, "I got you an Apple II." Which at that point I was like, well, that's awesome. You got me a computer. I I don't know. I I was playing with the TRS-80s at Radio Shack, but I just I took to the Apple at that point, and I've been on that platform, yeah, pretty much ever since. Wow, that's a long time. But this is
0: that was before Apple was Apple.
1: Uh, for me, it was uh, it was the Apple II, and it was uh, back when Apple was just the Apple computer and nothing else. Yeah. But this is an Android show, and. I know we're going to be talking a lot about things like Kotlin and such, and I know Jen has a lot of questions Kotlinized for you.
2: Yeah, so I was, uh, I'm was—I about beginner-intermediate when it comes to Kotlin. I was really uh, immersed in Java. That's what I learned when I did my master's degree and everything else. So um, I have a lot of questions about Kotlin as I'm getting more entrenched, because I've learned enough to write simple apps, and as I go along, I keep having more and more questions. Um, so, I would start out. Um, could you explain the concept of what is a higher order function and why do we keep seeing these as often in Kotlin as we do?
0: Uh, so, by definition, a higher order function is a function that takes a function or returns a function. Uh, and I think that, I mean, especially in the Android world, like, I don't want to say especially in the Android world, but uh, you know, a lot of programming languages have been trying to move towards uh, functional approaches and using lambdas uh, to shortcut certain syntaxes. Which I think in Android, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not an Android developer, and I, yet I keep ending up on Android shows. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you you have event handlers, and and the shortcut to implement those event handlers is using lambdas, which is much shorter syntax than. Than um, the whole implementing a class or an object, etc. So the the higher order functions lead to these uh, abilities to create these lambdas, which are kind of like anonymous functions, and um, so that's why they're kind of popular and, and Kotlin, you know, one of the reasons that we actually created Kotlin from day one was because we, we, we were lacking this in Java six at the time.
2: That makes perfect sense. And that's another thing. As a professor, I'm I'm often trying to explain the concept of Lambda. What is a Lambda? You know, and that is such a hard concept to explain. So I was curious to hear someone like, I like to get a lot of different takes on that. So I would love to hear, like, what are these Lambda things? It seems like they sprang up recently. They're showing up in all the different modern programming platforms. What is a Lambda for someone who's getting into this and feeling overwhelmed by that term?
0: So someone that is that person that's getting into it familiar with object orientation? would you say
2: yes okay yes or at least they know what a class is they should know what an object is you know think of a basic computer science student that's had maybe their first year
0: yeah so I think um, I think then then the way that I would is if you take a look at an object you know normally when they talk about objects they you talk about data and behavior and uh, a lot of times the objects that we implement either end up exclusively being data such, right? Yes. So yeah. if you have an object that you only want to have behavior, you end up basically having a function, right? So then the question is like, why would I have to create an object, you know, create a class, create an instance of that class, have this function, etc. If, if all I could just do is just have this function without all of the ceremony of the class, right? So now you can just essentially say, well, why can't I just you know, declare uh, functions in a file as opposed to have to attach them with, with classes? Which is great because then now you can start to use these functions. But sometimes you know when you want to pass these functions around, especially to, to higher order functions, which is functions that take as as, as arguments other functions, you don't even want to define that function. You just want to you know do an ad hoc behavior. So why have to go to the extra ceremony of creating this function to just, you know, pass it as an argument um, to another function if I could just pass the behavior directly? It's the same way as like if I want to pass a number two to a function, why do I have to declare a variable number two? I could just pass the number two. So I would say that Lambda is essentially in the same way, right? You're shortcutting the fact that you don't need to declare a function to then pass it to another function. I don't know if that came out well or just completely railroaded.
2: It <laughs> did. It's more difficult sometimes to discuss. Um, uh- these concepts without a visual. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) tell me about it.
2: (laughs) um, What do you think, sometimes the term that I use is a headless function, or um, I I love the term anonymous function. But I remember when I started as an Android programmer, thinking how incredibly cool it was just to define the behavior of a button right there in the code right after you declare the button. And it seems like it's just gotten easier and easier. Yeah as far as syntax goes, but it's also harder to explain. And it's harder for me to know, what are the rules with this language? Because it seems like almost anything goes. I can just throw out some brackets and start writing my method, you know?
0: (laughs) I guess the additional issue that we have with Kotlin is that technically an anonymous function isn't the same as a Lambda, uh, which, you know, if you look on Wikipedia or any, any language that you look at, Generally, it says, you know, a Lambda or anonymous function. But in Kotlin, we actually make a distinction because you can have a Lambda, which is the curly brace and then the, you know, the parameters and then the uh, arrow and, and the body. Or you can actually have a function, which is fun without a name and then the parameters and then the body, which is what we call the anonymous function, similar to how you can have anonymous functions in JavaScript so we additionally make that distinction which is even more confusing sometimes i guess
2: <laughs> i did not know so now i know not to use those terms interchangeably
0: <laughs> i mean a lot of people do you know it's uh, uh, even myself at times but technically like i uh, we do make that distinction so um yeah it's you know for people that come new to it it's or come from other languages they often use this interchange the the terms?
2: I think I finally understand the difference, uh, at least in as, according to one C++ book author, but I, I often use them interchangeably. Or function and method, is there a difference in those terms?
0: <laughs> I, the, I guess function could not belong to a class, I guess. Method oh. has always kind of been associated to, a, to an object. I guess, but you know, we change those into, we use those interchangeably as well.
2: Well, It changes with the times. To me, it kind of feels like a trend, you know, whatever the majority of people are agreeing on right now seems to be what's right. (laughs) So I like to ask the people whose code style and knowledge base, um, It's good. Um, Another concept in Kotlin that I'd like to know more about or to hear another interpretation on is unit. So I kind of understand what it is, uh, but is it a substitute for void? Is there a void in Kotlin? And what exactly is unit?
0: Yeah, so generally the way I explain unit is I say that it's exactly the same as void, except it's completely different. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> like the idea is the same, right? You know how in a void is basically a a, a a function, or now if we're trying to really be stringent on terms, a procedure. Back in the old days at, at university, they used to call them uh, procedures; those that didn't return a value, right? Versus function; those that did. So, um, a, you know, it would be a procedure, so essentially a function that doesn't return a, a value, which is void in Kotlin. Mm-hmm. The, the equivalent to void is unit. The difference is that unit is actually a, a type, and it's essentially implemented as an object. So in, in, in Kotlin, you have classes, and then you can create an instance of a class. But then you also have the concept of an object, which is essentially similar to JavaScript. You can just declare object and give it a name, and then that would essentially become a singleton. So a unit is essentially uh, an object called unit, and it has a member uh, which is a function to string which returns the string unit. So in all practical effects, when you don't return a a, a type in Kotlin by default, that type is assumed to be unit, and uh, you can you know you can mark it explicitly or otherwise it's inferred. The difference between that and void is that you can. Actually, assign a value to the return of a function that returns unit. You can query it. You can say, "Is this a unit?" You can invoke ToString on it, etc.
2: That is really cool. So it's it's nothing, but it's something. That's a, it, but it's something. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> well, so, we've so. also got nothing. But don't <laughs> let's not go there.
2: <laughs> oh no! No, oh, really, my- we
0: do have nothing as well.
2: Oh, is there really? I haven't there, encountered that one yet.
0: There's actually a type called nothing in Kotlin. Uh, and, and I always ask people, I'm like, what is at the, you know, when I'm giving a tour, like, what is at the bottom of the Kotlin type system? And someone would shout out nothing. And I'm like, exactly. That's right. It's nothing. And there there's a type in Kotlin called nothing. And the difference with that, going back to kind of like, um, I wouldn't say procedure, but the difference with that is that nothing essentially is saying to you that the function will not return. Oh. Right? So when you ret- when you when your function return type is nothing, it means that the function doesn't return. Which means that let's say for example, let's say that you have a function that throws an exception. If you say the return type is nothing, it won't return.
2: That makes sense. And um, I, can you think of any other languages that do that? Uh, that seems like um, new behavior altogether. To be honest
0: with you, I don't know if there's, a, if there's another one that does that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, because I was going to say uh, kind of equivalent to a procedure, but the procedure actually does return, right? It just, it just yeah. redunds execution and returns. Um, I don't know of anyone that does that. It makes this.
2: me think back to my assembly days where you know function is essentially addresses on a stack. So uh my mind's fishing around like wow, how does that work? Because <laughs> I would
1: have had to does that send a signal then to halt the application?
0: Well, I mean, essentially, yes, but it depends on what you're actually doing in that in that code, right? The the idea there is to uh Kind of give insight also to to the compiler and the IDE uh, to to tell you whether, for example, there is some potential unreachable code, right? So let's say that you know you have a you, let's say that you have a function that pr- pr- prints a, a line of, a, a line to to the standard output, and then above that you write you know throw exception. Generally, most IDEs would detect and say you know the the line is not is unreachable. Um, but if you wrap that throw exception into a function that's called, uh, that returns nothing, the compiler won't be able to know that. And the IDE ID generally doesn't know that either. Now, if you say that it's that that function returns nothing, now it does know that that's wrong, returning. However, if in that function you're not actually you know, throwing an exception, then it principally wouldn't hold the execution. Oh, wow.
2: That is really interesting
0: as far as i know it wouldn't it's actually a good question i should ask myself i think it does not halt execution it would detect that the code is reachable so it would give you a warning um but it's you know it's up to you to halt execution
2: wow is that what that function type is usually used for is a pretty much
0: a- yeah normally you would you would do that i mean we have a standard function in this we have a li- uh, function in the standard library that just basically returns uh it's a to-do, it's called to-do, and it returns nothing. So the idea is that essentially when you add, when you create a function called to-do and you put a, a message in there, it, it's going to tell you that that code is unreachable.
2: Like the built-in to-dos that you can use in the editor? Because um, writing tutorials, I use that all, feature all the
0: time. Yeah, it's basically built into the standard library. But it's it's also important to understand that... Um, you know the whatever that function you can't just have an empty block with that function right because the function has to return nothing so it has to actually implement that nothing which i didn't get into is a type right and and it's it's an essentially it's it's a class that ha, is has a private uh constructor so whatever it returns has to implement nothing so so you can't just you know while you definitely you know, the halting execution is in your hand, it's kind of limited what you can actually do from that function, which most of the time will probably end up halting execution.
1: So nothing's a type. So you actually have to return that type. You have to have something that creates that instance of that type so that it comes back.
0: Correct. Nothing is essentially a a class which has a private constructor. It's called, uh, I mean, it's essentially defined as public class, nothing, and then a private constructor.
1: Everybody's getting so clever lately. I'm getting return types of nothing, return types of never. It's, all, the, all the languages are trying to be incredibly clever, and I'm beginning to feel like I'm watching who's on first. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Kotlin in particular is very intriguing, um, and Swift, and even C sharp. I see following along some of these trends, um, but Kotlin has some behavior that I've never seen before.
0: I mean, to be fair, you know, when you look at Kotlin, it is it is heavily inspired by existing languages such as C sharp, Kotlin. Sorry, C JavaScript, Scala, Java, Swift. Um, well, technically not so much, because actually we started, I think Swift started two months before we did. They made the first public commit. They made the first commit to GitHub, but we went public like m- several years before Swift was announced. Oh, I did not know oh, that. Really? Uh, I did
2: not know that. I yeah, should know that.
0: So we went, so they were actually, their first commit, if we looked at the history, I think it was like one and a half or two months before Kotlin. But um, they only went public like three or, three or four years ago, uh, way after we had already announced Kotlin and we already had some early releases. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, generally all of them are inspired by other languages anyway, right? And now, for example, C Sharp is getting inspired by Kotlin. No, so I'll just pray. I think we can uh, hold
1: on there for a few moments, and Jen has got some shortcuts to finding her way through Android Studio. We'll talk about some of that in the second half, but first we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor, TripleByte, and then we'll be right back right after
0: this. The RayWonderLick.com dot com podcast. will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor.
1: This raywenderlick.com podcast is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help.
2: They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can
1: code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's. No bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they'd care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact.
2: Apply now at Triplebyte.com slash Ray. That's triplebyte.com, bite, byte, B Y T E, as in 8 bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus.
1: again a special thanks to triple bite for sponsoring this episode and this season of the ray wenderlich podcast back in with section two for this show and it looks like jen is going to help us find our way around android studio the quick and easy way or at least or at least find shortcuts that help us operate more efficiently Why don't you talk to me a little bit about Android Studio and and why this?
2: Thanks very much. One of the things that I am currently working on to enhance my skill set is I would like to learn more keyboard shortcuts in general. Um, I was watching one of Hadi's YouTube videos. Um, Of course, being with IntelliJ, there was a YouTube about IntelliJ tips and tricks and shortcuts. and I really admire people who can use Quick Keys well, because when you're presenting or giving a talk about code, and I often have to demonstrate code either in talks or in front of a class, people just look really professional and knowledgeable when they can do those shortcuts and they're not always reaching for their mouse. Um, that's an area where I'm a little disadvantaged, um, mainly because of my typing skills. I have typing skills that are really good. I type about 120 words a minute. I can do that at 100% accuracy for an extended period of time. Um, nice. so, when, so yeah. So you know, um, but one area I'm lacking is quick keys. My typing skills have allowed me to ignore things like stepping code. Um, and these days, with modern IDEs being so incredibly powerful, um, they could I could really leverage that to be a faster developer. And it makes the audience, you know, when you're removing lines of code and moving methods up and down, the audience is just like, wow. And they can focus more on what you're saying. You don't have a long pause between, okay, I'd like to change the code this way, you take five or six seconds, they've forgotten the context.
1: I really appreciate that because I'm just beginning to transition from being programmer to being public speaker, Uh, not so much in the podcast, but actually going to conferences and speaking. And I also have always been just amazed at these people who say, now we're going to drop in this little code bright that I already had previously done, or we're just going to add this and this. And I know that as a programmer, I program fairly fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, and mouse and then i programmed one <laughs> mouse so I, I really am pleased to hear that this is a way to to transition to make that much more quick um if you were to break it down which which areas would you specifically focus on as far as this is uh uh for for uh, for speeding up your key usage
2: um, for I think um, where I would start is um, moving code around. So a lot of times I grab my mouse, I highlight a line, I cut. So I use everybody, most people. I won't say everybody because on a daily basis, I encounter people that don't know how to cut and paste. But most people know the quickies to cut and paste. Um, and then you put your cursor where you want to put the code and paste it um and sometimes you have to highlight a section and so forth so uh for moving code around there are some quick keys for that yeah so for shifting code up and down um and i'm going to use mac os key shortcuts for this but um Option shift up arrow and down arrow will allow you to shift a line of code.
1: And obviously we'll have all of these in, in the show notes because we don't expect people to be taking notes during the show, but we'll have all of these, uh, all these shortcuts that you're going to talk about in the notes.
2: Yes, and one of the guides I used as one of my primary sources is an article from our site. So hopefully we can link to that article. Um, and I also just looked around on the documentation on and all different sources. But we have a great article on the site about that. So you can shift code up and down that way using um, shift for Windows and Linux. It would be shift all up and down arrow, and that way you can move a line of code. And it looks like you just have to have your cursor on the line with it. And so that's really nice. You can move lines up and down Um, and you can also move an entire method. So that made me so happy because just recently I was writing a big program. It's got like a data adapter and everything. So there's, oh, more than a dozen methods in there. And I kept reordering my methods. And so you can order move methods around by using um, shift command instead of shift option. And that'll take an entire method up or down in between other methods. So that's really handy. If you've done like me, I will be lazy and I'll insert all my methods at the top of my program and my on create just sinks down to the bottom. And of course I want that at the top. So now I can just quick key that to the top. I don't have to sloppily um, grab my mouse. and.
0: I'll, um, I think that, that 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 definitely is great, but I would suggest maybe if you want to even look at um reformatting code I don't know if you use that uh because then that way you don't even have to move your methods around uh, manually oh, so nice you, yeah so you can have basically you can write anything you want and then just it it very much depends on what your preferences is on how you want to uh sort your methods your properties etc but ref- code formatting is quite Um, flexible. It has a lot of options. So you can just write functions and anything, anywhere you want, and then just say reformat code, and then that will clean it all up for you, for the entire file or for the entire project.
2: That is great. Um, I have used that feature. I didn't know that it would reorder um, the methods like that too. It
0: should, unless I'm mistaken, but it definitely should. Arrangement. Yes, I think you can set how to arrange fields and uh, um, method name, etc.
2: Oh, great! And then I'm see I have a, a cheat sheet in front of me, and it looks like you can do that with Control all L or Command Option L. Yes, so you quick yeah. key that one too. Yeah, <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Um, I love to seeing your demonstration. Um, you were using a quick key to go into the settings and then you were setting your code formatting settings right with your keyboard. So um, from an audience standpoint, that was blowing me away (laughs) watching you do that. So um, that was really cool. Uh, There's also a quick key to duplicate a line of code, Command D, um, so very often I'm highlighting control C, control V. So there's a lot of times I'm doing way more work than I need to. Um, same with deleting code, you can control Y or, or command backspace on that to delete a line of code. Um, that would be a lot better. And the renaming, I always find myself doing a right click on a variable, going to refactor, rename. Um, I didn't realize that you could use shift F6 for that. So, that is very handy. You can rename a variable, a method, a class. Um, It looks like if you use control F6, you can change a whole method signature with that. Uh, So, there's a feature I'll probably incorporate in my day-to-day
0: usage. Yeah, And and if you have a Mac, you can use that horrible thing at the top, which is called the touch bar, which (laughs) (laughs) I... I really do not like
2: <laughs> <laughs> the touch bar. So, is that the one? Is that the is essentially where the function keys are at? I use a Mac, but I don't know Mac terminology.
0: Yeah, I so the, you know the the of... new the newer MacBooks they have the touch bar at the top, so they basically got rid of the the physical function keys, and oh, they added dear. that display that is like it can change. So, in IntelliJ and Android Studio, obviously, we've adapted to that. So you don't you don't have to like Press Shift F6, for instance. If you're on a method name or a variable name, the touch bar already displays rename, refactor. Oh, wow. Personally, though, I just can't get used to it. So I keep pressing the function key, which brings back the the F keys, and then I invoke the F keys. <laughs> right. Apple really wanted
1: to put some kind of, of iPhone-ish, iDevice-ish I type in there and it's it's pseudo works but i find it's become more of a toy than anything else i i i <laughs> haven't i mean i i haven't learned my quick keys and it's almost as like well if you know all your quick keys then you're gonna love what we give you in the touch bar but you haven't learned all your quick keys so you don't realize that the touch bar is actually helping you with that
0: yeah and, and the worst part is that it doesn't have any kind of feedback so I've installed a, a little tool which is called, I think, called Haptic or something like that. That when you press it, it goes like tick tock, like this, uh, oh. like the, similar to how the the actual um, keyboard sounds. But you know you don't get any touch feedback on it.
2: That would be difficult as a touch typist. Um, that is, would be difficult for That's me horrible. to not know if I hit the right key. Um, I still have an old fashioned, I guess, old fashioned. I thought it was so up to date. I went in through the settings. I can't stand the Fn key like that drives me insane. So I went into my Mac settings on all my macs and um now the f keys are default so there's a setting in your mac depending on which kind there's different ways to get there and that way you don't have to hold down the fn key Um, and that'll make keyboard shortcuts more realistic for me because the fn key drives me bonkers i'm clear back from the days of when i started learning computers and i was 16 I was working for temp agencies and stuff and I was doing dictation typing with the command line word perfect and they had the card on the function keys and you know you yeah. have different function keys yeah. for bold and so um, the function keys are close to my heart. I don't like having to hold Fn.
1: <laughs> yeah I kind of I kind of fell off of the uh, touch bar, but that's predominantly because what I tend to do is I tend to have my laptop, to the side, I have it docked to a larger monitor, and then I have a Bluetooth keyboard that actually yeah. has all of the keys on it. Yeah, and with the Bluetooth keyboard, go. they haven't put a touch bar on it, so you basically have your F keys again. Though so I, I do miss the days of, of function key card cutouts where you basically <laughs> would have your cheat sheet right at your function keys. I really did like that. I thought it was a great idea, because, you know, you're touching, you look down and go, oh, there, there's that, there's that Shortcut.
2: Now there is a great idea. I should make one for Android Studio shortcuts and Ooh. distribute it and you could print it out and cut it out and make it for all the standard size keyboards.
0: <laughs> I actually think that they do have some. Um, that there's a site that that generates these for Vim, for IntelliJ Platform and for a bunch of other ones.
2: And um, some of the shortcut keys that I knew about um, that I liked to use all the time that I'm surprised. I come across people every day that don't know that they can block indent. So I'm sure many of our listeners do know that. But the fact that you can highlight and use um, control square brackets left and right to block indent your code. And um, on Windows, it's tab and shift tab. Um, if I couldn't block indent, I might just have some tears over that. And I've always used the so very first, And if you can only have one shortcut key in Android Studio, I would go with Alt-Enter. So I often, when I have no idea what shortcut I'm supposed to use, I try Alt-Enter just in case.
1: <laughs> it's good. What does that do? Uh,
2: it, it does auto-import a lot, Um So a lot of times as you're typing code, if you don't have your setting to auto import the libraries you need, Alt-Enter will um, pop up a menu that you can choose the right import file. So it saves some time. Or if there's ambiguity. So if you have two imports that are in different class namespaces. Um, And you you might have to Alt-Enter and pick between the two.
1: I'm really pleased with square Square Bracket because I find that's on just about every editor. It's in Xcode as well. Obviously, you know, Command, Command, Option, Shift, Control. You have to find the right one for your IDE, but Square Bracket, both indenting and extending. Extending? Outdenting?
0: I was going to say unindenting, but I don't even know if that's correct.
1: <laughs> but but square bracket is always great because, you know, you're always trying to match your code, especially if you're on a team where you've got multiple people. You want to make sure everything matches up and your preferences might not necessarily match the way the code is. But that square bracket denting is, uh, we we'll just say denting, is, is, uh, is a godsend. The
0: Alt-Enter actually does, like, Alt-Enter is one of the more famous key- keyboard shortcuts of uh, the platform, which basically does a whole bunch of different things based on the context so a lot of the times if you're looking at your code in in, in Android Studio and you see a little squiggly um you hit alt enter and it says well this uh, this there's, there's an issue and here's a quick fix to fix it um so based on the context alt enter does a lot of things and and it's good that you highlight that keyboard because one of the keyboard shortcut because one of the things that we're trying to do heavily and we've done it in some of our other tools, is to try and consolidate a lot of the functionality in a single keyboard shortcut. So we're trying to bring more and more things that you can do through Alt Enter and make it contextual so that people don't have to remember all of these other keyboard shortcuts. But if I were to um say mention the shift command A, which is definitely the keyboard shortcut everyone should should know about because That is basically that allows you to look up anything you want without knowing the keyboard shortcuts. So that's essentially to execute an action. And if you don't know how to refactor something, you write refactor. And then you can invoke the refactor action, or you can just look up the keyboard shortcut on it as it's displayed. That's nice.
2: Now, that is really cool. I'm writing that one down. Um, I've noticed as a teacher, because I know about all enter I end up telling my class that. And um, it amazes me, because oftentimes, they do end up using that to fix their own syntax errors. Or sometimes, they get some really creative, um, you know, they'll create a class, or they'll, they'll start using um, the IDE tools to generate code for them. Um, and so I really like that shortcut key because it's always a great discussion point in class and sometimes it leads a total beginner like someone who's never really coded or used an IDE much um it'll lead them to their own solutions or down a rabbit hole of learning. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I love how it kind of guides you through these days. Yeah.
1: Well the big rabbit the big rabbit hole question I always have is in some cases I have a key combination I'm used to in one or a series of apps that differs. Does Android Studio allow you to personalize those keys? In other words, I know that the default set of keys is set, but I need to actually have it be something else.
0: Yeah, but it totally does. I mean, you can essentially configure anything you want. Any any action, you can uh, define the keyboard mapping for it. And in fact, if you go to the Help menu uh, in, Android, in Android Studio or IntelliJ and you click Key Map References, that opens up a PDF with the keyboard shortcuts for the different layouts, which is an A4, which you can print and you know put on your desk. And if you have custom keyboard shortcuts, that PDF will generate your custom keyboard shortcuts for you, oh. so it's not just the standard ones. That's, That's nice.
2: That's great. Um, this is great, so if you have an old favorite, you can include that in your IDE.
0: That actually really kills me with, in, in, with me uh, because I use Slack and a bunch of other tools and command K is to search. And uh, command K in IntelliJ is the commit dialog box. Um, so every time I'm like, I go back to IntelliJ, I'm like, okay, let me look for a type. And I press command K and the commit dialog box comes up. I'm so used to using that's command K. To
2: oh, no, that's crazy. But
1: I, I think we've gotten a lot of information today, uh, both on Kotlin uh, Hadi, from you, and uh, talking about some of the ways to more efficiently get through your IDEs in shortcuts and in your in learning methods. This has been really helpful, Hadi. I really appreciate you being on the show
0: today. It was great being here. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Yes, thank you so much.
0: And we've
1: got another show coming up in about two weeks that will be Romain Guy that'll be on with us in two weeks. And Romain is... is...
2: Oh, yes. I saw him on stage at Google I.O. Oh, so he's a Google engineer. I know that he takes beautiful pictures of photography. So you might have seen some of his photography if you have a Chromecast. Yes, very well-known Google engineer.
0: I think he knows a little bit of Android as well. <laughs> just, just a yes, little, a little yeah, bit. Just
2: a little about Android, Android UI development.
1: And we'll have him on in about two weeks. Until then, that's going to to wrap things up for this episode of the ray wenderlich podcast again we always like to thank triple Byte, our sponsor that's Byte, b-y-t-e for sponsoring this in pretty much every episode this season we'll be back again in two weeks until then we go back to the emerald castle ray back to you
0: and that's a wrap thanks again everybody for listening to the raywenderlich.com podcast we hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to leave a rating on itunes see you next time